This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Break free from the big three. Get unlimited with 5G included for $30 a month when you get four lines on Xfinity Mobile. Prices may vary and are subject to change. Reduce speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only.
study with Ken McCusick for week 13. We're going to take a look mostly at the defense as we look back at the Ravens' victory down in Atlanta, 16-26. to Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing I'm doing all right. My my phone won't stop buzzing thanks to Twitter. But uh but you know what? The Ravens went down. It was a game they had to win and they took care of business. They sure did. And that that uh we, Maureen and I went down to the game. It is a it is a gorgeous stadium. I I'd put it right up there with the nicest stadiums we've ever been to in terms of generally the look of the place and how it's laid out. It's really up there. Um it, it, it's a shame more people from Atlanta aren't going. No, I mean it was very empty. That's that's true. Tickets were cheap as cheap as anything. If you bought them before the season, I'm sure you paid a lot more. But we we had midfield club seats for 139 bucks, and you know that's a it's a nice number to get. And uh, is it is uh, it confusing that it is the Mercedes Benz Dome and so is the uh, New Orleans? Uh, not well, not to I me, mean, but you know, <laughs> right? When you're you, when you're in the city, that's the only one. It's just yes. Conf- it confused me a little bit when I was seeing everyone post pictures from the Mercedes Benz Dome. Yeah, that, I think it would be confusing if you're watching on TV and or, or maybe you're looking at it on Twitter and it's the SEC championship game and it could reasonably be played at either the right. Superdome or in Atlanta. Then, yeah, you got that problem. Right. And they did play. The SEC championship game was there the night before. So Atlanta was very crowded. A lot of disappointed Georgia fans were there and a ton of Alabama fans at all the restaurants and everything, of course. And yeah. uh, it was a it was a it was a crowded city and a, and a, a fun football weekend, to be sure. Yeah, a big loss uh, the night before in that stadium, so you wondered how that affected then the crowds on Sunday. There there was no doubt a lot of binge drinking going on overnight. Georgia very disappointed that they're left out of the national championship picture uh, with that loss when it looked like they had it won. Is, is that why the Ravens decided to let Sam Cook throw the ball, just to rub it in the faces <laughs> down there of the few fans that oh, came boy. out? Uh, you, we don't want to go there. Yeah, but it was it was nice that uh, that Cook completed that pass. It was too bad that uh, a couple plays later they turned it right around into a defensive touchdown on us. So, right, uh, right, it is what it is. Yep. Um, so it's the greatest thing for talk radio that this quarterback controversy is now continuing into another week, and we went into this game and the first uh, we've been watching Lamar trying to learn something, and this was like exactly what you want if you want the controversy to just continue or blow up even bigger is Lamar played poor but the Ravens won the game yeah well that is that certainly is exactly what would fuel the controversy obviously Lamar playing well and the Ravens winning uh, nothing is changing Lamar playing well and the Ravens losing probably nothing changes right, right. so uh, uh, but Lamar playing poorly and the Ravens winning is exactly the combination that you might you know have questions about what goes on uh, you know, you've got to temper, I think, how you say Lamar played poorly. He, he had very poor ball security in this game. He did not throw the ball well in this game. Those are both very bad things. But Lamar being on the field does make all of the runners better by sure. taking attention away from him. And what he has given the Ravens during his time in the three games, and I think we can now fairly state this, is he's given them a much lower variance running game. And that is proven to be tremendously valuable in the way that the Ravens have, have dominated. Time of possession is not really a meaningful statistic. The meaningful statistic is the number of offensive snaps relative to the other team. And they, the Ravens have absolutely dominated that the last three games. And I think by playing very few defensive snaps, they've maintained a relatively limited set of pass rushers more freshly than they had before. Uh, kept them more fresh. So anyway, that's... Uh, Certainly a formula that could win in 
January, where you have to go in and beat good quarterbacks on the road in the Ravens' case, because they're probably going to be a wild card, or even if they're a division winner, which is possible, they'll be playing on the road any games after the first. Right. So you'd, you'd have to figure that you know this is a formula that it is great to actually see talked or sorry see enacted and not just have as a hypothetical. We always thought the Ravens might be able to do this, but what they did to the Falcons in their own building in this game that they had to have was about as demonstrative as anything you could see. The only other game which approaches it is the Tennessee game earlier this year, and in some ways this was more atypical because Mariota is more capable of breaking down than than Ryan has been over his career. Uh, so we'll get into a little bit of that later. Uh, sure. Um, do the and yeah, and of course, yesterday's game not only did everything go right for the Ravens, but all the teams the the Colts lost, the Steelers lost. So suddenly, suddenly we went from this team just a few weeks ago talking about John Harbaugh and his job security that now they've got kind of a secure hold right now on the on a playoff spot. I, I would not say their hold is secure, but they they are looking a lot better than they were. And yesterday was a right. fantastic step forward. It gives them a chance to continue on with their hopes for winning the division. It gives them a chance, a better shot at winning the wild card. I think the Colts' loss is really epic in in the sense that now, you know, we did not expect it. First of all, it was a unbelievable shackling of luck. Luck threw the ball over 50 times in the game, and they scored no points. Right. Uh, so an odd, uh, an odd combination of things there. Uh, you know, to see the Steelers go down uh, was terrific. Uh, the Broncos now are the big threat. And the Broncos, looking at these last four games, have three easy ones, and then the possibility of, of facing the Chargers in a game that will not be meaningful to the Chargers. So the Chargers, the Ravens' big thing, one of the big things we need to root for these next few weeks is for the Chargers to be motivated in Week 17. If they're not, it'd be very bad for the Ravens. Because uh, right. then it means the Broncos are likely to win out, and the Ravens are really going to need to win three to uh, win the division. I think if, if you look at now... Devoa by by their playoff odds report shows the Ravens a slightly more than a fifty percent chance. I think it's about fifty four percent to make the playoffs, and uh, about forty percent of that fifty three percent or fifty four percent is in their chance to win the division. Right. So, so we went, but we went from like last week where it was like thirty percent. That's a pretty big jump in one week because everything fell the right way. Yeah, it was. It's the overall playoff percentage moved from forty one, I believe, to fifty four. So it was a relatively right. modest jump. For a, for a win that seems like it was this important, but right. but it but it was a, uh, a there was also a shift because Denver now is in a much better position to take the wild card than they were, okay. and and the and the Ravens um, uh, are in a better position to take the division, but probably in a worse position to take the wild card because of Denver's change in situation. Gotcha. So we so, were we were at the point where it looked like we were going to have to win out to get the division now it looks like we need, would need to win three to get the division and we'd have a shot at the division for the wild card i was looking against the colts and was like oh well if we just win two we'll be ahead of the colts but you're saying with the broncos coming up it means we're going to need three for the wild right. card as well yeah it, 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 the they have, ravens have every conceivable tiebreaker against the broncos so the only fear is that the broncos win outright against them but the broncos are a fairly good shot to go 10 and 6 with three easy games followed by this game with the Chargers that the Chargers may not be motivated for. 
So, you know, the, the risk is very great that the Broncos will go 4-0. Uh, and if they do, then then uh, the Ravens will have to win three games. And that's going to be a that's going to be a tough nut to crack. Or they'll have to somehow win two games and win the division. But their best bet is the, the Ravens real best bet is to win three games. They're, they're, they are almost a mortal lock to make the playoffs with three games. In fact, the only other teams that can that can beat them out coincidentally, if that's the case, are the Chargers winning one wild card or the Chargers winning the division and the Chiefs winning the other wild card. And then the Dolphins winning out and winning a strength of victory tiebreaker. So that's the only way they can be kept out of the playoffs at 10 and 6. 11-5, the guarantee they're in. 10 and 6, only that one odd situation with Miami. And then if they go down to 9 and 7, then it becomes the Broncos that are the, that are the big threat. Gotcha. Do the Ravens do something? Uh, we, we're going to get into the defense. But do, and just in general, do the Ravens do something different than other teams on the bye week? They seem to always come out playing really well after the bye week. And again... Here you're looking at this shift, and suddenly out of the bye week, we've won three in a row. Well, it's it's exciting that that's happened. I think that the Harbaugh teams have had a good record off the bye, though I don't have it in front of me right now. Um, but but in terms of, of anything, I mean, self-evaluation is a is an area where I think the Ravens have been pretty strong over the years. If I look back to the Billick era, there were some definitely some disappointments and some breakdowns in the final weeks, particularly 2004. comes to mind as a game where they lost five out of six or four to five down the stretch to to drop out of the playoff picture uh, when it seemed like they had it won after that that really exciting game at New York. Uh, going through, you know, the years since, uh, Harbaugh teams, particularly in the early Harbaugh years, always great after the bye. Uh, and uh, and those 2008 through 2012 teams certainly got it done to, to make their playoff push then. Right. Last year it looked like they won four out of five after the bye week. Oh, terrific. So um, it's interesting. Now – the other thing to look forward to, and we were we were expecting this, and we'll get into it, but we expected that starting with the Falcons, we would be facing these uh, high-power passing offenses. And, yeah. and we we shut down Matt Ryan and the Falcons, but this yeah. death, it's going to be a big test for the defense the rest of the season. Yeah, they, they will. They'll, they'll have to face good quarterbacks from this point forward and good passing offenses all the way through. they got one exception – Maybe the Tampa Bay game, they'll face somebody who's who's a little off, but may, maybe not. Uh, and that's a game at home, so they're going to have a you know better chance to win that game. But the rest of the time, I mean, I, I include Cleveland and and uh, Mayfield in this group. Yes. It's good quarterbacks the rest of the way, and and through any playoff games, that's certainly true. But I'm like Tony Romo at this point. And by the way, I loved his analysis during the game. I thought it was very well done. A lot of the different things he did graphically in the game, but Romo's just insight into the game was very good this time. Uh, what what he says about wanting to see the Ravens face the Chiefs, I've got the same level of excitement. I want to see if Pat Mahomes can handle the Ravens putting seven men at the line of scrimmage and trying to figure out what's going on. And the Ravens playing press man coverage and seeing it, daring them, daring him to beat them. Uh, it'll, yeah. it'll be a lot of fun. And that's what Tony Romo kept pointing out, and he was even marking on the screen with the uh, telestrator and stuff, mm -hmm. showing how the Ravens press all these guys up and you don't know which guy's coming and how they're constantly moving. Uh, so it was fun to see, a from a quarterback's perspective, who's now not dealing with that, to be right. able to say, hey, this is stuff that other people aren't doing. This yeah, is what I, makes this team special. I absolutely love that stream of consciousness thing they did with the four connected dots with the two safeties and the two outside corners. I don't know why they needed that. They really, He really just needed only the two safeties in that. But that's okay. Just looking at that, if, if, if he – he gave us this stream of consciousness view of how the quarterback is looking at that play relative to those the, the umbrella for defenders and trying to figure out what's going on, in particular with Weddle, 
And Weddle really did outthink him on the play by moving back and then moving forward after he checked out of the play, then showing the run blitz again, forcing that timeout on the play. Really well done and extremely well broadcast and announced by Romo in terms of, of giving that quarterback's mindset as that play ro- rolled through. Right. And I think it's even different than what we've been used to as great defenses. We've always talked about Ed Reed getting in the quarterback's uh, head. But here you're looking at the entire secondary is getting in the head. They're pulling everyone up and back. and Yeah, they, they are playing some fearless football in that secondary and they made it work every which way this game and then you know we'll get into it later about the pass rush but the pass rush you know did not get to ryan consistently in this game when they did they were effective but you know they the, the coverage had to do an awful lot in this game i really want to want to get to that sequentially as we go through yeah, well, this. let's get to it now because this was a historic shutdown of the passing game for the falcons yeah it, it sure was i mean i start with matt ryan and the fact that he had only 97 net passing yards in this game. That is the lowest total of any game he's finished in his entire career. Now, if I go back and I look through the game logs for this, he had one game on 11-29-09. That's going back to his his and Flacco's, by the way, second year, right. when he had a game where, where he completed two of three passes before he had to leave due to injury, was replaced by the great Chris Redman, who came in and threw for 210 net yards, by the way, in that game. and uh, But Ryan had two of three passes completed for 12 net yards in that game. That's the only other time he's played an NFL game where he passed for less than 100 net yards and he didn't complete it. Every other time he's, he's played a game, playoffs, regular season, any time, and we're talking 100, 170 games, I believe now. It's either 170 or 180 uh games in his career that he's that he's had um uh at least at least 100 yards but uh, uh most of them are not close by the way ryan you know probably averages right. 200 and change for his career it's not not like they're really any close to it but uh this was a historic shutdown in his own building just uh, absurdly uh held down here yeah and it was it was obvious that matt ryan was frustrated from the moments of one you're, he's he spent a whole lot of time on the sideline so you would see him on there irritated to the point that even at one point they caught a trick play to try to try to mix something up on the Ravens because yes. it just wasn't working. Um, and going into Atlanta, the guy that scares you as much as Matt Ryan is Julio Jones and just seeing him decimate defenses, and he only got two catches. Yeah, two catches very early on, and, and those were very well-defended balls by Jimmy Smith, both of them. They both occurred in the first three minutes at 13.28 and at 12.22. I want to point you out to the article on Russell Street Report if you really want to see what happened to Julio Jones just on his targets. But go through. I've got the 10 listed there. You want to do a little bit deeper dive? Go out and watch every passing play using your Game Pass subscription and take a look at the coverages using the top view on that and see what's happening to Jones play after play after play. But they did not give him room to breathe. He did not have an uncontested catch the entire game. He had one three-yard catch on a three-step drop in zone coverage where two guys were about three yards away from him. But, you know, that was, the, that was the closest he got to open the entire game. And he was going to take a big hit after making a catch like that. And, in fact, he right. dropped it. <laughs> right, right. So, so he, he, he had two yak the entire game, two catches for 18 yards, two yak. Wow. Uh, that's <laughs> the, entire, the entire Falcons team for this game had 44 yak. And 22 of that came from their blocking tight end, Hooper, 
who uh, who had uh, you know a six and a fourteen and a two. Their their wide receivers did absolutely nothing in this game. Twenty one total yak on nine catches, which is just absolutely terrible. So uh, Jones, ten times they they threw to him. Eight times were official targets. Two catches only in the first three minutes. After that, he was completely shut down. Um, he had two others that were were penalties. Uh, that he didn't catch either one of those. One was that uh, bogus uh, lowering the head for contact penalty. That right. it, it could have been a different type of penalty, but it wasn't the penalty they called. Yes. Um, and and then the other was uh, was uh, another one that was called back for an offensive holding play. So even though he he dropped the ball, or actually um, it appeared to be ripped loose by Chuck Clark, uh, the ball was called back and, and negated by uh, the play was called back and negated for a holding call. So right. it was really probably even worse than it than it looked for Julio in this game. And just a, a, a terrible game for him. Ravens secondary, it was a broad game of of shutting him down. It wasn't just Jimmy Smith who did play terrific versus him. They didn't they didn't shuttle men around that I could see to cover him. Uh, Humphrey did a good job on him when he had him. Uh, Clark had him on the back end a couple different times. Once on the pass from Sanu, the long pack, the trick play that you mentioned on third and one where Sanu threw the ball 38 yards down the field. Uh, that was actually Jimmy Smith having tight coverage on that play. But Clark had him on another play um, thrown by Ryan that was deep, deep, and he and he stripped him again on the on the penalty play. So we had a couple plays where where. Uh, uh, Clark was involved. We'd Weddle knock one away on a 40-yard pass down the down the left side. Uh, it was just it was everybody contributing to shut down Julio in this game, and and uh, great team effort. The pass rush, of course, uh, got in his face as well uh, on those plays, and deserves a good share of that credit. Yeah, let's get to the pass rush because it looked like the Ravens were were rushing on almost every play. Yeah, they they you know what they did is they showed the rush on every play. So they brought the they brought players up to the line of scrimmage and they were trying to force the the Falcons to prove that they could figure out who was coming. And what they did is they dropped men on virtually every play from the line of scrimmage, but they they had six two-man drops on 20, 30 pass plays in this game. Uh, they had one of those was a very oddball three-man drop and another was a, a very orchestrated four-man drop. Both of those plays, they dropped Michael Pierce into coverage. So the Ravens were, were pretty fearless about who they would try and move back into, into the secondary to try and uh, uh, overload a blitz on one side. So uh, they did a lot of things like that. and it, were, were comfortable rushing three, which they did twice, and, and the, the Falcons got no yards on those plays. In fact, I've got the numbers in the article, the pass rush by numbers. Everything worked for the Ravens in terms of how many they rushed. With with four, they averaged 4.7 yards per play. With five, they averaged 3.5 yards per play. With six, they averaged five yards per play. You allow five yards per play to Matt Ryan, you're going to win. When with seven, they did that three times, and they averaged negative four yards per play, including a sack fumble that went for a touchdown. So they everything worked in terms of numbers uh, for the Ravens in this game. Right. So I— We've talked about Tony Romo pointing this out. How different is this from what the Ravens did, say, the week before? The Ravens have used less of this for the season, I will say. Um, they, they've had a fair amount of two-man drops. They do show that double-A gap blitz, but I would have said that we have seen it less this year than we saw last year from Dean Pease. It was really right. a staple of the Pease defense where he would do a lot more drops from the from the um as as his major form of deception we've so, seen more blitz uh, uh, go ahead i'm sorry oh, so what do you think brought this about 
yesterday? Is it being prepared to face a more higher-power offense? Is it the fact that the defense had so much time to rest on the sideline? What, I, I, why would you go this way? I, I'd say specifically this game, the, the reason I think they did it is because they, they wanted the, the Falcons have a lot of problems on the offensive line. And they, that probably means, since they have new guys they brought in, that they're really going to have problems in terms of, of getting the line calls properly handed out. And that means that things, the faster you can get pressure to develop, and it obviously will develop more quickly when you're at the line of scrimmage than if you're blitzing from, say, four yards off the line of scrimmage, as, as C.J. Mosley does sometimes, you give Ryan that extra split second to throw the ball, if that's the case, probably an extra half second. You, you would prefer not to give him that. And Ryan showed very early in this game his propensity to move backwards off the spot. Now, you see that with a lot of quarterbacks. A lot of quarterbacks will turtle up when they're on the spot, but when they move backwards off the spot, well, there's no sense in, in doing anything but, but rushing all out on that guy or, or, or doing what you can to get pressure to him as quickly as possible to get him off the spot. And Ryan, as most quarterbacks are, is not a guy who likes to move off his spot or, or move out of the pocket to make a throw. He's not particularly good at it. He's a, he's a terrific pocket passer, but you get him off the spot, you got him where you want him. And they did just that in this game. They really used very little in terms of other deceptive elements in this game. So we talk about the three major elements of deception being blitzes from off of the line of scrimmage. They had only eight in this game. Stunts, they had only three in this game. And two-man drops where they had only six in this game. Now, we did have a couple of really strange ones, but six in this game did not lead to a lot of deceptive blitzes in total. And uh, frankly, it was a pretty, I'm showing you what you got. Let's see that you get the ball out quickly enough. And uh, frankly, it, it didn't work for them. Gotcha. Uh, the other thing that didn't work for the Falcons is the running game with, uh, <laughs> with Pierce and Williams up front. Yeah, well, very much those guys really dominated the line of scrimmage. And, and I think that neither probably has gotten all of the credit that they deserve this year. Pierce is having a terrific year. Um, he's not playing as many snaps as he used to. Uh, in part because the Ravens just play less total defensive linemen. And uh, let's start with a, a with a point of emphasis here that I, I was – I really came out pretty loud on Twitter, and now I feel kind of silly for doing it, but you got to own up to your own weaknesses here, right? The Ravens activated just four defensive linemen for this game. I thought it was a big risk because this was a place where Atlanta has shown a capability of – continuing drives with a very high third down conversion rate. The Ravens have shown some susceptibility to passers who've been able to do that against them. Certainly quarterbacks like Roethlisberger and Breeze have been able to maintain drives, stay on the field, and that would lead to a lot of overwork on that defensive line. If you end up with an injury, you're in really bad shape. If you have to stop the run in the second half by playing three defensive linemen, you're in worse shape. So it was a risk, and they took it. And they ended up playing only 44 competitive defensive snaps. So defensive line rest did not end up being a problem at all. Pierce and Williams were as rested as you can imagine. And, and they made both incredible plays. With the fourth and one play, Pierce was in the backfield, drove two guys back. And it wasn't just any two guys. It's Mac um, and, uh, and the, the left guard, who is just a guy. Um, but, they, but it's uh, Mac that they drove into the backfield. That stuffed the entire play up, and then Suggs was able to come in off the edge and make the tackle for the for the two-yard loss. Uh, he had two other pressures in the game. He had another tackle for minus two himself. Just a really big game for Pierce. Williams, it, I, I, people talk about the sack fumbles. If Williams 
you know, they forget Williams' part in it, but he drove his guy back directly at the quarterback's feet. And in fact, it was Mack again. That's an all-pro center that he pancaked back to Ryan's legs, which caused Ryan to stumble backwards. And then uh, Owasu knocked the ball free for the sack fumble, and, and Tavon picked it up, and the lights went out for yep. the Falcons. Uh, so just a fantastic game for those two. Williams had other plays in this game, too, that went unnoticed. But if you go to the uh, article, you'll see them there, are, are, uh, all the highlights enumerated. But fantastic job up front. One more note about that fourth and one play. The Ravens had the nickel defense on the field, which means they only had two defensive linemen on the field for that play. And yet it looked as if they were the monsters who could move the line of scrimmage back. In fact, the Falcons have five offensive linemen on the field. They're allowed to try and move the Raven <laughs> defenders backwards. One of the guys who was at the line of scrimmage for the Ravens on that play, just to the left of Michael Pierce, was Chuck Clark. He's a safety. He's at the line of scrimmage. Right. <laughs> you know, you got to find a way to find space to make a fourth and one attempt. And I think they, the, the Falcons probably made a very poor choice to – use a slow developing run play as opposed to something with Ryan where the, he sticks his head in there and, and gets a yard the way Joe Flacco would have. Gotcha. Um, I mean, yeah, 34 rush yards, 15 carries. That's something to be proud of. The Ravens sure seem to have an extra step in their defense this week. Yeah, I just, I, I just loved everything about this defensive effort. And, it, I, you know, it's one of these things where you realize it's very good while you're watching it, and then you look at it statistically and you compare what's going on, and it's just it's unbelievably good. So, uh, you know, the, the thing that really stuck out to me was the Falcons only had four plays in the entire third quarter. Now, that's a function of both offense and defense, right. of course, but, but the Ravens had two consecutive three and outs where they, they got the Falcons off the field. Then the next time the Falcons got the ball, they fumbled the ball away for a touchdown. So right there, that was seven plays until midway through the fourth quarter. And then they finally did get a drive where they where they scored the touchdown, of, you know, with about six penalties going both ways on that drive uh, uh, that allowed them to get back into the game a little bit or get get back within 10 yeah. um, with just a few minutes left. All right. So let's look at some uh, individual guys like we normally do. And I want to start uh, with linebacker. Let's talk C.J. Mosley. Yeah, so this is a good game for CJ. I thought he did a lot of things well in this. He obviously played the played the run well in this game, and it didn't necessarily show up in a big tackle total, but that's okay. He did he did what he had to do, and he was a big part of of holding that rushing total down where it was. Uh, beyond that, you know, we didn't hear CJ's name called a bunch in coverage, so they didn't try and isolate on him. They didn't try and get a running back out or get crossing routes shallow. What they did. Uh, you know, since they're playing a lot of press man, really didn't expose Mosley. And, and Mosley was used a lot in the pass rush. When he did drop to coverage, he did his job effectively. Uh, you know, we just didn't see his number called. So this was a this is a terrific game for CJ. Looks like he's playing better. Looks like he's uh, playing uninjured now. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, obviously the Ravens have a big decision coming up at the end of the year. And I think how the Ravens finish out this year, regular season and playoffs, if they get there, will uh, will go a long way. Yeah, that, uh, that's one of those cases where the fact that his name's not showing up is a good thing. Means oh, they're, not, they're not getting the ball that way. Uh, we got to go through we got to go through a few guys in the secondary because they played so well on Sunday. And let's start with Jimmy Smith. We kind of beat him up a little bit. He came in after uh, what was it? Suspense injury suspension. I don't remember yeah. which one it was for Jimmy. He Smith said one time. of each, right? <laughs> um, but he came back and seemed to struggle. But it seems like he's getting healthy. He's getting back into football shape as they say 
Yeah, so he's, he's he, it's not like he played poorly his first couple games he did. Then he had a, a kind of a rough stretch where they were really picking on him more than Carr. And now he looks back, you know, in this game, he looked like a number one corner again. In fact, the Ravens looked like they had several number one corners in this game. But Jimmy Smith played terrifically well, and, and he had a, a tough assignment, Julio Jones, for a fair amount of the game. As far as I can tell, the Ravens were not switching sides to follow Julio because they ended up with a lot of different guys covering him, of course, in this game. But uh, Jimmy, when he had him, he did a great job on him, and uh, and that was a big part of the Ravens' win in this game. And it's not like he gave up any any big catches to anybody else either. So uh, uh, good stuff all the way around for him. All right, uh, Chuck Clark, did he played did he play well enough that Tony Jefferson needs to be concerned now? Uh, you know, he, he played well. I, I, I Clark had a little bit of up and down game. I, fr- frankly, he did play well in coverage of Julio a couple times, which was terrific. Uh, I thought he, he he played well at other times as well in coverage of other players. The the play that he lost the guy, and it wasn't like the Ravens had a high chance to stop the touchdown, but he lost the tight end on the touchdown pass, okay. and, and he kind of got caught in no man's land where he tried to rush the quarterback. Then he then he kind of lost the tight end, and and he wasn't back in position. It's a little bit hard to tell whether that is Owasso's guy or his, but you got to figure that Clark, because he didn't rush the passer, it's probably not his guy, and he 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 didn't uh, pinch to try and close that window on the tight end. It was a very easy pitch and catch for Ryan. All right. Uh, Tavon Young had a, uh, had the return. Yeah. He had some sort of impact, just 18 snaps for Tavon. So not, not a huge game. They took him out for the last drive and I'm kind of wondering. So his last play was the fumble return for the touchdown. Right. He didn't play any of that last drive. And I'm wondering if it was precautionary because they obviously they had six defensive backs on the field. They had Carr playing nickel for that drive. So it's my question would be, I hope nothing nothing is seriously wrong in terms of a return of the groin injury, and it's just a a precautionary measure to to get him off the field and give him the rest of the week of the rest. Because certainly the game at twenty six to ten appeared to be wrapped up in yes. every reasonable way. Sure, sure, makes sense. And then uh, Marlon Humphrey, I think, came out as a star in that game yesterday. Yeah, he's looking all world. I, I'm I'm looking through the notes and trying to find even a single reception he gave up. I'm sure uh, there probably was one somewhere, but uh, uh, nothing that that I have uh, that, that's obvious here. And uh, terrific game from him. He looked. He is just consistently been able to punch a ball free when given the opportunity. So it's not enough for the for the receiver to get <laughs> opposing receiver to get his hands on the ball first. Because Marlon Humphrey is going to come in there with either the right or the left hand, and they are clubs. They are bludgeons to knock that ball free, and he's been very effective with it. And I think it was Calvin Ridley who, by the way, if you're a, if you're a Ravens draft Calvin Ridley fan, uh, uh, fan, this was not a good game for you. He had a he was awful in this game. He's a yard short of the sticks consistently. Uh, he dropped balls. He just did everything wrong uh, pretty much in this game. But uh, but anyway. Uh, Humphrey had a part in that, uh, knocking a ball free from him, and uh, had a fantastic game. All right. Uh, let's get to some MVPs. These are guys we probably already spoke about, but let's uh, give them our MVP awards anyway. All right. I hope you, you're going with me here. Yeah, I'm playing today. All right. So my number three guy, Tavon Young. Uh, eight, only 18 snaps, but made the biggest play of the game, and uh, uh, he's, he's my guy. And I'm going with uh, Chuck Clark because I was expecting a little downgrade there because of Tony Jefferson being out, and I was well surprised by Chuck Clark. All right, that's fair. My number two, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to play my old game and give it to two guys here. 
Pierce and Williams, I have a hard time separating what they accomplished in this game. They both did so much. Uh, Williams got a lot of crap this season for, for underplaying his contract, but this was a game where he really stepped up and did it both as a pass rusher and as a run defender. Uh, he was just outstanding. Yeah. And, so uh, Pearson and, Williams got it together. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Two guys is way better than five guys <laughs> or six guys. I think you had six guys as well. With the offensive line. Week. Yeah, you're right. Um, I'm giving it to Terrell Suggs. I, I don't know how he does it with his age that he looked like – he was much younger when he was playing yesterday. Yeah, I mean, good point. It's it, it's so hard to keep some of these players out, but Suggs really had a lot of individual statistics in the game, quarterback hit and a sack, of course. Uh, I can't complain about that one at all. My number one, Marlon Humphrey. Uh, reasons I've really just uh, expounded upon, looked all world out there. And, uh, you know, he looks every bit the part of a number one draft pick. I don't think you, you can complain about that draft pick in any way. I agree. Uh I was tempted to give my number one to the Falcon fans because on TV it sure sounded like a home game for the Ravens. But I went with Weddle because he is the captain of this defense out there. Ever since they moved that green helmet to him, this defense looks like they know what they're doing out there. That's a good point. I mean, he, he certainly has played very well. They haven't taken advantage of any of the defensive flexibility given, mostly stayed on the field despite it. I think that's good for unity of the team and whatnot anyway. But uh, but a very exciting performance from Weddle, and certainly the, the knock away from Julio was a big early play in this game. Right. All right, it's time for the Film Study Mailbag. You get in your questions on Twitter using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag. First question up, Ken, is the Ravens certainly got Chris Moore on the field a little more yesterday based on the snap count I saw. My question this time around is whether you think the Ravens should be concerned about someone plucking Martindale to be head coach. You know, I think there are a lot of things which go into being a head coach. And I think that Martindale really is made to be a defensive coordinator. Now, Rex Ryan, I, I, personality-wise, there are some similarities. But, but I think that, that uh, Martindale is a little more subdued as a coach. And I'm just, it's not as obvious to me that he'll ever be a head coach in the National Football League. I'm not saying it's impossible. And, you know, I, I'm not even sure if he wants it. Uh, but he is a, he is proving to be an excellent defensive coordinator. I've been very happy with that this year. I, my, I would not have a fear that this year he's snatched as a, as a head coach. And, you know, there's many Raven fans that I think would welcome that. If, if he goes as a head if coach? He, if he leaves, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, there's, I don't know. I'm hearing, uh, you know, it's the same guys that want Harbaugh gone. They they want Martindale gone. They, I, yeah, guess, I, mean, I, I the, guess we hear it more on, I don't know. We hear it more on, on Twitter, the, on, probably. On Twitter, I'm sure, but that's all yeah. negative anyway. Yeah, it's, it's just you, you're putting up a big microphone and asking the question, is life fair? And, you know, the only people who, who respond are the people who don't think it's fair. Right. So, yeah, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't take, I wouldn't take, like, count of twitter complaints no to the, i know it's like, twitter, it's, yeah. it's like yelp i don't understand how yelp works because i wouldn't go to yelp unless i have something to complain about right so then how does it give a fair use uh minion hunters jumps in with how big was rg3 coming off the bench and eating up almost nine minutes of the third quarter he also Un saw and caught them with 12 men unbelievably huge that's a veteran play the the catch him with 12 men on the field because you got to get that snap off in time yep. i'm often at a game i'm watching a player run off the field and i'm going snap it snap it but rg3 had the presence of mind to actually get the ball snapped in that under those circumstances play got reviewed great use of a challenge 
Big first down that ate up more time. Uh, anyway, fantastic drive. We saw a lot with a very constrained set of offensive um, plays. He's given a couple short passes that he completed. Uh, you know, he didn't go down the field to anybody. Uh, I think he threw four passes in total, two complete, both short, both short passes, but uh, might have both been first downs. Uh, just just a, a fine drive. Uh, offensive line deserves a lot of credit for that as well. But it, it absolutely maintained that that nice time of possession and, and uh, play count advantage that the, that the Ravens had. Second half, if you look at time of possession, and remember the Falcons are passing and the Ravens are running in that second half, 24.05 to 5.55 in the second half. Yeah, that's, You're supposed to say, wow, that's amazing. No, it, it is. It is. It's a very impressive. Um. No, I was more thinking of just how – the RG3, how impressive it is for a third-string quarterback. He's the third guy on the team, and to go out there hasn't been on the field in a in a regular season game in three years? Yeah. Something like that. He, had, he didn't play great. last year, right? He sat out his entire season. So this year he's, he's you know played a little bit of preseason ball, and that's about it. So it's been a couple of years. Right. All right, Andrew gets in with, Ken, how much credence do you give the Ravens' claim that trading back twice in the first gave them the assets to feel they could trade back in for Lamar? Okay, well, you're, you're asking me to, to come off something that I kind of hold as a core belief is that, you know, a defensive playmaker of Derwin James' uh, value was way too good to pass up on. So, But that's not the question. He's asking, did... The Ravens acquire enough in exchange for the James pick that they got the confidence to take Jackson. And I'd say that also is kind of crap. They 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 could they essentially traded their second round pick this year and their second round trick pick next year to get the pick to 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 get Jackson. They could have had that. And they could have had Derwin James instead of Hurst. So as long as you're willing to give up Hurst and you probably you, you probably still get Andrews, maybe you don't get somebody like Kenny Young later on. But you you could have had Derwin James is really what it comes down to, and most of the rest of your draft, including certainly Lamar Jackson. If if they're really asking the question is, do they feel certain that they you know could get one tight end who was good out oh, and two wide receivers who are not by the way um, uh, out of drafting four players instead of taking one player like James. Yeah, that's an argument for a different day. But I think I just think James was a different level of talent that you you shouldn't have given up on cheap. And I think the Ravens honestly they gave up an equivalent level of value based on the Jimmy Johnson chart. And I think that was that was too one sided a trade given the fact that him and Edmonds, frankly, were both available at that point. All right, uh, Brad gets in. Are the Ravens doing something different with the pass rush personnel these last couple weeks? It seems like Judon specifically is playing less on the typical rundowns and being deployed more in obvious passing situations with Smith. Yeah, that, that is accurate. Um, uh, for one thing, Zadarius Smith has taken over as the primary Sam, so Judon is playing more of the typical passing downs, and he's and the the snaps are more heavily weighted towards um, Zadarius Smith. So, uh, for example, in this game, Judon had 28. Uh, those, those are uh, meaningful defensive snaps. And Zadarius Smith had, well, 29 in this game. It had been more the other way before uh, where, where Judon was uh, getting a, a higher percentage of snaps. In fact, he was up in the, about the 65% range early in this season. Um, I guess in this game, he's, he's not dissimilar from that at 28 out of 44. 
uh, we've had games recently where he has not had as high a percentage. Um, I will struggle to find an exact example of this at, at present, but uh, but yes, they're doing a little bit less with Matthew Judon on rundowns. I would agree with the the comment. All right. Uh, Caleb gets in. You've mentioned a few times that the Ravens have gone light on DL activations. Do you feel that uh, like this might be a strategic gamble based on the expected time of possession? What positions are they trading those DL for, and what effect is it have? Okay, having? fantastic question, first of all. Fantastic question, because it really gets at the heart of how are they making their, their choices. So, first of all, if it was a strategic choice for this game, it certainly worked out. Let's put it that way. They had only four defensive linemen. You know, they don't play two defensive linemen per snap against a team that is constantly running out three wide receivers because the snaps are split between snaps where they have two defensive linemen on the field, and that's the right the base nickel, and snaps where they have one defensive lineman on the field, which is when the Ravens go to the dime defense and put Zadaria Smith on the inside as one effectively of two defensive linemen. So they, they really only use either two or one on most plays. So given that, it could have been a reasonable strategic choice. It still represents a risk because with an injury then and with the possibility the Falcons get the lead, you can be behind late, down to your last three defensive linemen, and have no substitution, and then the Falcons could start forcing the run on you and try and run against a, a you know a heavy set and put only two wide receivers on the field, put an extra tight end, put a fullback in the game, whichever it might mean. So it is a risk in that sense. Now, who his other part of the question, which is great, is who are they getting in exchange for that? Well, the guy they got and the guy they could have deactivated was Buck Allen. Buck Allen had zero offensive snaps in this game. Zero. He's still getting some special team snaps. I ought to take a look at that for this game, and I will if I can bring this up in time. But he's getting some special teams in the snaps. But honestly, he has no impact on the offense, hasn't had any impact in a while on the offense for this team. And uh, Buck Allen had 15 special team snaps. If you think that's worth it, then they got value out of him. Uh, Maurice Kennedy played 21 snaps. He would have been a guy on the defense they, they could have deactivated as well. Cyrus Jones is their return guy. Uh, is the only guy who's in between them in terms of uh, of snaps. So, uh, you know, they, they deactivated Patrick Ricard in this game. They activated Max Williams and gave him 21 snaps. So it's it's kind of funny what the Ravens have been doing. They went with four tight ends, four running backs in this game. I don't think they really got value out of those guys relative to the security they get out of having Ricard active as the fifth um, uh, defensive lineman. Do you think they go with that fourth running back because the game uh, is leaning so much on the run game now? That that injury-wise, they don't want to be short there? Um, yeah, you know, that's not a bad point, Josh. I mean, they, you know, you, they certainly wouldn't want to be. I don't think Allen really offers a lot in the run game. He's had barely any carries this year, and certainly about the last six weeks, he's had just a handful of carries. But he's a run-straight uh, guy like Gus Edwards. Yeah, he's, he's not a he's not a – a heavy like Edwards is. Edwards is a is a okay, thumper. Right. Allen Allen is more of a slasher. He's more like Dixon in terms of his ability okay. to 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 be a slasher. Uh, I he's not an outside runner. He's not a he's not a Collins guy, uh, and he's a receiver and a pass blocker. So maybe it it would it would play into the Ravens' hands more if they had to pass late and come back. So maybe he's that back that they wanted additionally for for just that sort of an outcome. And since it didn't happen, they didn't have to worry about getting him in the game. Right. 
Uh, you know, either case, you're talking about a player who, who only helps you under a specific circumstance which might or might not emerge. And Patrick Ricard is only going to really help you if you have an injury at defensive line uh, or if the Falcons get ahead and, and you know, force the run on you then for, a, for a, a big swath of the game where you need to stop it. Right, and that's what those final positions on your, on your roster, that's all about uh, strategy and trying to guess which guy you won't need. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I, I think that's a good point. And, you know, the question is just excellent. It really gets down to, to why are they making these last choices? I, you know, they, Hurst was not targeted in this game. I'm not saying they should deactivate Hurst, but I question whether or not they need to have four tight ends active if Hurst wasn't, Hurst wasn't targeted in the entire game. Right. So, uh, yeah, I found that odd after the week before we talked about how Hurst seemed to click with Lamar, and then this week it was, uh, it was Andrews. Yeah. Andrews, again, Andrews has been there for every quarterback Yep. Seems to be seems to be a favorite target, and we've uh, he's been exciting to watch. Right. All right. Uh, two more questions. Based on how teams are targeting them, who's the number one cornerback? Yeah, you know, I think that has actually changed. I, I it was it was Carr a few weeks ago when Jimmy Smith was having problems. Uh, other teams were going after Jimmy Smith, and they they knew something was wrong, and Jimmy was playing a little a little uh, soft coverage. And by the way, I don't know why. Jimmy, with this relative success he has, wouldn't want to be up play and press a very high percentage of the time. And maybe you don't want to do it every time. Maybe you, you, you know, circumstantially, you certainly want to want to switch it up. And you're playing when you're going to drop into zone defense, you might want to might want to do it otherwise differently. But the press man that they've had success with in recent in the couple last couple of weeks has just been so good. Jimmy Smith has been terrific at. It. I don't know why they wouldn't stay with more of it. Uh, and he's been he's been obviously much more effective with that. Carr obviously also a, a good press coverage guy came came with that pedigree when he when he uh, came over from uh, from Dallas and uh, he definitely is a guy who I would think would like it more as well. Uh, you know he's he's been targeted a little more. Part of it's being in the slot, which is a little unfamiliar as a position to him. He's played more of that this year uh, than he had in past years. He gave up the big uh, pass interference penalty late in this game uh, when he was there. So anyway, I, right now, I don't see anybody who's who's not a number one quarter. I'm, I'm looking across the board, whether it's Tavon, Carr on the outside, Jimmy on the outside, Humphrey on the outside. Looks like a whole mess of number one corners right now. All right. Um, it looked like Wink was getting crafty with the pressure screams, especially in the second half. Did we see an increase in the blitz frequency or the type? Because it seemed that blitzing in the past, for instance, Pittsburgh and Carolina, was getting us burned. Yeah, he's right. That, that blitzing, um, blitzing was getting us burned, and they, and they, and they shut it off in, in those games. Uh, in, in this game, they had 8 out of 30 blitzes from off the line of scrimmage, which is low. I think most of the time, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, was trying to get as many men on the line of scrimmage for fast pressure against Ryan to prove that the, the Falcons get the, get the line assignments correct, which they, they didn't prove they could do well enough overall, and also to just be quicker at generating that pressure to move Ryan off that spot where he's very comfortable and is very effective. And, and the Ravens still only got Ryan, um, actually, they, they, the Falcons as a whole, because Sanu had a, had a snap as well, had 16 out of 30 snaps with ample time and space, and that's an above-average number. We've been seeing numbers in the mid 40s for most of this year, and uh, you know it's not like Ryan didn't have opportunities to throw the ball. The secondary really picked up the job here on it. So uh, I think part of what you're seeing in terms of the blitzes is that the Ravens were very effective getting home and and uh, and getting a quarterback hit or a sack when they did get some form of pressure. 
All right. All right, Ken, everything we spoke about, along with timestamps and a lot more information, is available up on Russell Street Report. But what I really want to ask you is, you wrote that playoff tiebreaker article for the Bengals, and they immediately fell out of contention. So when's yeah. your next playoff article going to come so you can knock another team out of contention? Actually, it's out there right now. Uh, Cleveland is knocked out of contention this, this week because the best they can now finish is 8-7-1. and one. So uh, I had them off the list of potential playoff contenders. It would be very – not funny because I think the Ravens would probably be out if the if the Browns recover to go eight seven and one and right. make the playoffs. But uh, but anyway, the, uh, the article's out there. Uh, extensive look at the tiebreakers through Week fourteen. Uh, a lot of people are doing some good work on this online, but uh, but uh, I encourage you to take a look at mine as well. It's got a little bit of depth to it in terms of the strength of victory, the common opponents, and some of the other tiebreakers that that a lot of the other articles don't get to. All right, so everyone needs to go on over to Russell Street Report and uh, take a look at that. Read all your articles listed under Film Study. And how can they follow you on Twitter? Follow me on at Twitter, at Film Study Ravens. And Josh, I want to make sure we, we get a plug in here for Birdland Sports. Yeah, uh, but remember when you're used on Twitter, use that hashtag Film Study Mailbag. Birdland Sports is where you can find this podcast and many other podcasts. There's a new Section 336 that also went up this evening where I, uh, with my brother and brother-in-law, we talked Orioles because they made some moves firing people in the warehouse and non-tendering some guys. And then we talked the whole Lamar Joe because you cannot avoid it in Baltimore. It's what everyone's talking about right now. And it's a fun discussion because both sides are valid. Very so, good. Very good. I'm sure we'll talk some more about that in our next podcast on the offense. I'm sure we will. I am trying my best to be neutral, but I'm finding that as neutral as you are, you're really unneutral. <laughs> <laughs> or or well, you're, you're taken as not being neutral. You're, any, any polar person takes any neutral opinion as the opposite pole. I'm thinking maybe I'll start talking politics on Twitter instead of Ravens <laughs> football. I think, I think I might be better off. So, all, right. all right, Ken, we'll talk soon. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.